0: Here's the host of the Talent Talk radio show, the founder and CEO of People G2,
1: Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on Talent Talk. It's one o'clock, it's Tuesday, so we must be talking about talent, culture, and everything else. Uh, In case this is the first time you happen to be tuning into the show, first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, Really uh, appreciate the great audience we've been able to accumulate, you know, through our Podcast and uh, iHeartRadio, iTunes, uh, over ten thousand of you a day coming in and downloading a podcast or a past show. Really appreciate that, and we've had a really great uh, live audience. Um, although most of you actually get us after the fact, but that's okay. Um, and you know, if you're not sure about how the show works, I can kind of give you a little rundown here, and kind of works out to where uh, you know I'm really fascinated by the work that many people are doing, and I love talking to smart people who are really engaged in. Um, passionate about culture and leadership and coaching and everything to do with how do we help our employees, how do we help those around us be their best, do their best work, and, um, and help us achieve our goals. So um, this show is really designed to allow you to have that opportunity to listen on our conversation instead of it just being me and that other person. You can join in, be a part of that conversation. In fact, we'd love to have you do that live or after the fact on Twitter you can send your comments, your questions, your guest suggestions, whatever it may be, uh, at PeopleG2 on uh, on um, Twitter, or you can use the hashtag TalentTalk. My producer, Mike, will try to feed me any questions that come in live um, as the show is, is going forward. Um, and as I mentioned, the show's been going for a while now. We've had some really fantastic guests from you know heads of talent to General Motors to heads of talent at Southwest Airlines. We've had just really run the gamut of some really spectacular people. And but those recently, uh, those stories and um, really kind of the lessons learned in uh, my new best selling book, The Power of Company Culture. Love to have you check out that book. You can find us on Amazon or cokenpage.com and uh, pick up a copy and let me know what you think. So, but let's go ahead and get to today's show. Um, I have two great guests on the show. My first guest will be uh, Cecil Purr, uh, founder of uh, Whirling Chief and and we'll have uh kevin grossman president of global programs and t- at uh, talent board hr he'll come in after the commercial break but uh, Cecil, welcome to the show
2: hello chris well thank you so much for having me
1: absolutely and i'm and, and am i pronouncing your name correctly
2: it's cecile pierre it's a bit misleading so,
1: okay <laughs> Well, I'll try not to say it too many times so I don't screw it up too many more times. But why don't you tell everyone about yourself? Uh, <laughs> what, what's important for us to know about you and uh, the work that you're doing and, of course, what your company's doing?
2: Sure. Um, again, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be here. I'm originally from Istanbul, Turkey, although I spent majority of my childhood and adulthood in the U.S., And for the last six years or so now, I'm residing and working in Europe. Uh, I'm an industrial and organizational psychologist. I hold a master's degree in human resources and industrial relations from Carlson School of Management, an executive MBA from Harvard and a BA from Eastern Michigan University. Uh, I spent um, about 18 years of uh, my career in human resources and business transformation, really working for a variety of Fortune 100 companies. So I was with Honeywell for a little bit, Cargill, Microsoft where really my career shaped. And then my latest gig was with Novartis Pharmaceuticals. Now for the last three years or so, I'm currently serving as an active HR functional top leader, if you will, and an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm also an honorary faculty member at a few ivy league schools and very recently we are very honored we have been recognized in two prestigious polls uh one of them is 40 thinkers under 40 which is the nomination in europe and uh another one is uh we've been recognized as one of the 101 employee engagement influencers globally so that's a global recognition and we are very proud of that Lots
1: well, that's amazing sounds like you're you're doing a lot of incredible things and certainly have uh you named some pretty uh, big institutions and companies there that you've uh, either learned from or brought your brought your influence into. Maybe you could kind of uh, help us clarify. You know, what's really your mission? You know, as a thought leader in this in the field of human resources, what are you really looking to do now?
2: Sure, thank you for asking. So. What I'll say is during my latest gig in the corporate world, I had a very successful career, a great promotion velocity, a you know generous compensation, but I genuinely struggled to find meaning in my work experience. Um, so I struggled, for example, to find inspiration because our business model was not mission-oriented. Uh, I struggled to find safety because Uh, Change agents like me uh, were not necessarily embraced and I struggled to bring my whole self to work because the environment was incredibly rigid and competitive. So when I decided to resign end of 2014, I started a consulting firm and I quickly realized I wasn't the only one experiencing a sense of demotivation, fear, resentment and competition to be frank. So I wanted to get behind building environments, organizations really, where more people can experience feelings of inspiration, psychological and physical safety, of joy, and receive contribution for their true and unique contribution, um, not necessarily in comparison to someone else. So I started making different investments and building a brand around championing humanity into, the global workplace—that's where Burling Chief comes in.
1: And so maybe you can uh, kind of help us, maybe understand then what what it is your organization is is actively doing right now. I mean, what are, what are you being, you know, sort of asked to? Someone comes in and hires you. What are some of the more core things that your company is doing?
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, our parent company, which is the peer Consulting, it's uh, it's a specialized boutique management firm. Um, You know, we provide consultancy, it's headquartered in Zurich, Switzerland, and we support organizational growth efforts through leadership of sustainable transformations. And we do that globally. So we work intimately with stakeholders to bring in organizational effectiveness um we build customized leadership and talent strategies we rework processes and systems so that organizations can evolve and grow in a highly sustained sustainable manner uh, and of course we want to be recognized over time as subject matter experts in our area so people can turn to our expertise and our evidence-based practices when they're ready to take their organizations to the next level
1: yeah and that's I mean, some complicated uh, and important things. Um, maybe, um, you know, is there a certain vision? I mean, are, are you trying to impact, you know, the, the the work on the individual level? Or do you feel like maybe more of this is trying to help the companies, help the organizations ultimately help their employees with, you know, that that alignment you're talking about?
2: Yeah, I would say both. It's a very good question. Um, You know, there is a significant body of research that shows when people in positions of power uh, adopt a human-centered view of business, which kind of emphasizes a culture of respect, trust, compassion and wisdom, the performance of the organization actually rises along with the individual well-being. So a lot of the times we help individuals thrive, but that ultimately results in the business thriving at the same time. And of course, there are circumstances where a business brings us in and says, look, holistically as an organization, we are struggling to do X. So help us identify that or help us solve for that. So sometimes we have to go and kind of look at the broader picture and bring in a solution that's going to work for everyone. But we do definitely a little bit of what We both focus on leadership and talent as well as the organization as a whole.
1: Well, that's good to know because sometimes you know, the focus can kind of go one way or another. Uh, maybe what are some of the common challenges you're finding uh, through your consultancy work? I mean, where where are companies really struggling where you're able to help?
2: Sure. I mentioned the majority of work we support is around transformation. So the rise of, um, I'd say, artificial intelligence, robotics, and smart technologies, if you will, is powering change faster than ever. There's so much talk around this. And this change, for some of us, this new era is ushering in prosperity, right? So we find potential to address some of humanity's most vexing challenges in creative new ways. But for others, this era of technological and social change is also ushering in isolation, loneliness, and fear. So in some ways, you could say we are more interconnected than ever before, but at the same time, this new world of work is also rife to Burnout, you know, uneasy hierarchies, toxic relationships. And um, I sometimes refer to it as silent suffering. So what we see is that there is a great need to dismantle today's traditional business models and rebuild, turn structures, question existing leadership philosophies, as well as refurbish some of the people practices in place.
1: And, and so, are there uh, then some trends? Maybe some positives. You sort of identified some of the challenges, but are, are some of those things? Are you seeing maybe good things coming out of that? Are we getting better yeah. at that? Or <laughs> yeah,
2: of course, of course we do. You know, a lot. I mean, we are evolving as humanity anyway. But a lot of the organizations are starting to realize the value of, for example, organizing their business model around. Purpose, So they're actually looking to create a mission that's going to resonate with all their stakeholders starting with their employees first. So that's a, that's definitely a trend. Um, other organizations are looking at their current leadership philosophy. There's a ton of talk and work around what it means to be a leader in the 21st century. You know we used to think about organization structures as hierarchies and then we would kind of think of those people in the top tip of that hierarchy as leaders but it's no longer so, you know, leadership is no longer about status, power or the title or being in a particular role. Anyone can be a leader in the organization. And so there's a ton of talk and work around what it means to be a leader, to be an individual leader inside of an organization, what it means to bring courage forward, what it means to bring uh, foresight forward or what it bring, what it means to be compassionate, uh, etc., And of course, with the rise of robotics, there's a ton of work around reskilling the workforce. So we see organizations wanting to upgrade their capabilities and so they're starting to rethink about their learning and development processes. Uh, There's a ton of agility around talent acquisition, especially with now some of the smart technologies like AI. A lot of organizations are thing, you know, some new technologies around talent acquisition and talent management. So all of that is great really. I, I just love all the trends and how we're actually starting to get to the core of some of these things and Find you know, build build a new foundation, so to speak, the way that we think about work, what it means to work, what it means to be in a different environment, what it means to uh, work differently today. So I just I love it all.
1: And you really addressed a lot of different things there. I would say the one that kind of stood out for me was this you know idea that anyone can be a leader or that you know leadership's coming from maybe not necessarily, uh, the person with the biggest title or the highest place on the hierarchy. And, and a lot of that I'm seeing coming is coming from the change in the way in which we're working. Um, and so I know my organization, we do a lot of scrum and agile. Um, there's lots of different systems. But, you know, when you start working on teams and an, a different person can be in charge of that team, and very often in our organization, that is not the most senior person, that is not the most highest titled person. It's the one who has the passion or has the skill or has the desire to be in charge that week. And so it allows a completely different leadership styles and allows different people to come in and be leaders. And I've noticed, and I would like to get your take on this, I notice that people are far more willing to take on a leadership role when they don't have to sign up to be a leader 100% of the time. Um, that their job is not to be now the leader of the company or the leader of customer service but can you be a leader this week for us and they'll go in and do a fantastic job and then you know then they go back to their traditional role and they'll come back to being a leader maybe two weeks from now have you seen that, that kind of phenomenon happening more and more in work that you're seeing
2: yeah, I just love that observation, Chris. I fully, fully agree with you. The concept of leadership is one in unity with followership, right? So we are all leaders, but we are also all followers at the same time. And the beauty of this is, is that when we can actually take the front stage and so take the lead in a project, as you said, for a week or two or a year, um, and, you know, do our magic but then be able to come back and follow someone else's lead. And this is not only happening, but I think it's going to be a requirement going forward because what we see is, again, the definition of work itself is evolving. So the jobs that we used to have, you know, back 20 years ago are not the same jobs. Companies no longer uh, think about roles in, The way that we used to think about which is like writing a job description and coming up with skills and competencies required hire someone there full-time so they can be there the next 30 years that is not how organizations are thinking about jobs jobs are agile today so they're looking at it from a project perspective at this time in this very unique moment we need this skill or that skill and they'll bring the workforce in and out and therefore we all again need to be a leader from time to time but we also need to be comfortable following others lead so yes absolutely we're observing that and again another topic that i love i think the reason why i love all these topics is because Some of these actually helps us look internally and realize the capacity and the capability we have inside of us as human beings. And therefore, there's growth in a lot of these conversations for each and every one of us.
1: So I know you also uh, mentioned some of the work that you're doing in different places. Um, I think you have a collaboration with Stanford University's C-Care. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing over there?
2: Uh, sure yeah this is a very exciting collaboration um so you know traditionally again in the past many leaders have sort of disregarded the importance of what one may refer to as soft skills in favor of hard numbers right but now with the new paradigm of leadership and what we are able to validate through some research is that the trade-off between numbers and people is a false assumption. As I mentioned, where people thrive, business thrive, and vice versa. And so we have done a year of study with Stanford University's CCARE, which is Center for Compassion Research and Altruistic Studies. Um, And we developed a three-day leadership development program. It's called Awakening Humanity at Work. We have looked at thousands of organizations and leaders across the board to see what's what's required from a 21st century leader. So we defined the attributes that are necessary. So this program is going to be aimed at corporate executives and current and inspiring um, people leaders. Um, and, And we're aiming to help them realize how they can evolve their being as individuals Uh, you know, as leaders inside of an organization so that they can create a different life experience for themselves and also for the people around them. And it's all very exciting because we had to dig into the latest research in neuroscience, um, the, you know, biology of compassion and well-being, you know, some of the dynamic findings from organizational behavior and psychology. The, The idea is to discover together the skills of resilience required in in building thriving organizations.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, qu- quite important stuff. Um, <laughs> and I know you do a lot of different things. I, I noticed that you are a current collaborator with uh, Thrive Global. I, I know I'm a, sometimes a yeah. uh, contributor as well into that. Um, so wh- what are you doing over there? I know that's a kind of a new uh, uh, space for-, for incredible content. So can you talk to a little bit more about what you're doing at Thrive Global?
2: Sure, sure. Um, so, this is an interesting one. Last year, we loaned a few UX designers from a technology firm to build a prototype management learning application. Um, and it's not fancy, it's just a chatbot. And the idea is to help first time managers learn at their own pace. Um, you know, how to be a better manager, (laughs) how to be a better people leader. So the content Mm -hmm. is aimed at developing emotional agility, communication and engagement skills. So for example, if you uh, were being put in a position to uh, lead people and you have to have a difficult conversation for the first time around performance, um you can go to the chatbot and start having that conversation with the person in front of you it's a visual and you will start saying things that you may want to say the next day to your employee and the chatbot actually responds as an employee and it doesn't always agree with you so it helps the manager to go through an emotional process to realize how certain terminology and language is landing with the individual and also help them prepare for you know better and worse scenarios so they can have a more productive and effective conversation with the employee when they're actually in front of the employee so now we are trying to take that prototype to its next level that's the collaboration that's the funding we received uh, from thrive global it's a very exciting one
1: that sounds fantastic i mean a lot of times people just don't even think about you know, write down the five questions. What's the five possible things that other person might say or how they might react and it's right. kind of a sales and negotiation technique. But I don't think managers think through that. We don't maybe take the time to think through that on our daily basis. So that sounds like a really great tool
2: yeah and you know it's interesting once people are in a people leadership position or if they're in an influencing role and you, they have been uh a part of a particular experience before they think they know what they need to know what they need to do uh but when we work with them we find that they don't always know and it does take practice so you do have to prepare for some of these conversations and the more you prepare the better you get at it Uh, So that's the idea. We are trying to encourage people, leaders to learn and, and, you know, keep a growth mindset so they can continue to learn, even if they had been in particular experiences before.
1: Well, we're at the end here uh, and really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, How can people get a hold of you or how can they learn more about your company um, if they're interested in finding out more?
2: Yeah, thank you so much. So I'm I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's under my name, Cecile Pierre. They can just look me up and connect with me on LinkedIn. But we also have um, a Twitter page for uh, one of our new investments, Whirling Chief. You mentioned that at the beginning of the of the show, so um, they can look at look us up. Um, obviously, our websites are available uh, for reach, cecilpeer.com or whirlingcheat.com. I'm pretty findable, Chris, <laughs> on the Internet. Okay. So they, anyone is welcome to connect with us. We'd be honored to have a quick chat.
1: And in case you aren't sure how to spell her name, because I would have maybe not known if, when I, if I was just listening, S-E-S-I-L, and then last name is P-I-R. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show, uh, founder of Whirling Chief. And uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us an update. But thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
1: we we'll Be right back with our uh, second guest, Kevin Grossman, after this quick commercial break. Mm-hmm.
3: Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information by combining industry-leading technology with old school human investigation people g2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your hr system so ask yourself are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company visit peopleg 2com or call 800-630-2880 that's 800-630-2880 or peopleg 2com
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, Thank you to my special guest, Cecil Peer, founder of Whirling Chief, for coming on the show today uh, all the way from, I believe, Switzerland. So if uh, you missed it, you can find it uh, along with all of our other past shows on iTunes or the podcast app there, or you can listen on iHeartRadio anytime. You can also find us on uh, talenttalkradio.com. We are pretty easy to find. Uh, and love to have you get involved in the conversation. Use that hashtag talent talk on all your social media platforms and send your questions, your suggestions and everything else uh, on Twitter at PeopleG2 is where we sort of live tweet uh, all the shows from. So I'd uh, love to have you do that. But uh, let's go ahead and bring in my next guest, uh, Kevin Grossman, president of global programs at Talent uh, Board HR. Um, so, Kevin, welcome to the show.
4: Chris, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
1: Absolutely. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what your current role is and, and what's you know what's important for us to know about you for this conversation?
4: Sure. So, so Talent Board, we're a nonprofit research organization all about elevating and promoting a quality candidate experience for candidates all over the world. We work with employers every year and do survey research with them about what they're doing in recruitment from pre-application to onboarding and then of course, um, they target populations of their own candidates, most of whom didn't get the job at the end of the day, to understand how they've been serving those candidates throughout the recruiting process, and I run the program.
1: So maybe you could talk us a little bit about, um, I know you guys recently, um, the talent board and the kind of the candidate experience award. So we'll, we'll, maybe you could kind of go d- deeper with that, on that for us.
4: Sure. So the part of our namesake being the Candidate Experience Awards, every year in that same survey research that we do, we actually give awards away to companies who have the highest positive candidate ratings, solely based on the data and the ratings themselves. So companies that are actually working hard to improve what it's like to be a job seeker, because, you know, I'm sure, Chris, you've got your own stories, as well as everybody listening today about... That It's not so fun sometimes being a job seeker out there, but there are companies that are are working hard to improve that experience, knowing that 99 out of 100 people at the end of the day aren't going to get any given job, right? So most of us don't get that job that we've applied for. Only one does. And so that makes at least a lot of folks that don't get the job and their experience that can impact the business and the brand. We're going to talk about that later on in, in the show. But those who have the highest positive candidate ratings, we do give them awards every year as well. And that's for companies big and small across industries.
1: And, and do you think that that's starting to, to get better? Are companies paying more attention to that? Because, you know, I know my company services, we're really at B2B. We, we, our customers are the companies. But... We've done quite a bit in the last couple of years to really try to improve the candidate experience, um, although they're not really the ones, they're not paying us, right? They're not the ones who pay our, who, who spend money with us, but it does seem to be on our end a bit more of a, a focus. Are you seeing that as well?
4: So, yes, and it definitely has been a growing trend. We hope that we've had something to do with that with, since the research program was founded back in 2011. Um, I know that. One uh, example I like to give is that, and I'll pick on uh, Lockheed Martin. They're a multi-year candy award winner, as we call them, for our, our research program. So, um, But if I'm an engineer and I applied at Lockheed Martin and I don't get the job, but I was treated poorly, uh, um, at the end of the day, I'm not going to not buy military equipment because I didn't get the job, right? But I may tell my engineering friends, you shouldn't apply at this company because of the way that I was just treated. And not everybody's going to necessarily take that to heart, but there will be some that will, and so that does impact referrals. And referrals are a big part of how a lot of companies across B2C and B2B hire today. So that's a big impact, potentially.
1: Sure. So I'm going to ask you what might seem like an obvious question uh, or an obvious answer, but I'm going to guess that maybe there might be a – uh, some variation here, but when do you technically start being a candidate in a job search?
4: For a long time, and I've been in the, the HR recruiting space more on the technology side than not for about 20 years, but I know for a long time now, we most of the ind- industry says that, listen, you, you don't become a candidate until you've actually applied and expressed interest at an organization. But we look at it a little bit differently at Talent Board based on the research that we've been doing for seven-plus years now in our eighth year. And we we feel that all of us are professional candidates at any given time, meaning that whether we're gainfully employed or not, there's always potentially an opportunity that may turn our heads and that we want to pursue um, whether we're actually in the market or not or even looking. So, And that includes... Uh, for, for the, in fact, one of the things that we like to talk about a lot about with employers is that even for your current employees, um, you have to constantly be re-recruiting to retain them over time. So, talent acquisition—the whole, the whole art and science of talent acquisition—never ends, even after the the individual has been hired. So, from our perspective, we're always a candidate all the time.
1: So, I know you've been doing this research for a while. I think over seven years now. Uh, what are some of the trends that you're seeing? kind of keep coming up or getting stronger year after year?
4: So th- th- there's a different couple of different ways to slice and dice this. One one way that, I'll, that I always talk about um, in uh, throughout the year in workshops, webinars, and different um, opportunities that we have when we share our research is that individuals that it's about communication and feedback at the end of the day. How am I being communicated with before I even apply all the way through the process? Am I getting feedback um, on why I'm not actually going to be pursued any further beyond the interview stage? And are you asking me for feedback about how I thought, what I thought about the process so that me as the employer can end up at the end of the day doing a better job? So communication and feedback are perennial differentiators that we see in the data year after year. Unfortunately, part of that is on the negative side, meaning that, for example, just in North America, over half of the candidates that respond to our survey research every year, um, they they are not hearing back from a company after they've applied two or three-plus months later. Um, even if they've blocked out in their minds that autoresponder email that they get after they've initially applied, they're just not hearing back from companies. And that silence is even worse than not getting any kind of um, even series of automated emails or not or some human touch or outreach uh email and phone call especially if i made it to the later stages but that in and of itself those that continues to be a big differentiator year after year is how much companies are willing to invest in their communication and feedback loops
1: is there some maybe uh, it almost seems like this would be a you should do more of this you do more of it you're going to see a better result but is there is it more complicated than that in the sense that it does depend on who the company is and how uh you know if they are a company that people want to work for or is you know getting a lot of good press right now maybe they have great products and services you know are they, is it a little bit less important for them but then you know the middle market company that's struggling to get you know the right it person in there it's like the most important i mean Is is it sort of company by company, or do you argue that this is, across the board, just as important for every company from one to the other?
4: I would argue that it's just as important probably, and again, when we talk a little bit more about the business impact in in a few, I know that it's going to be more important even more so for B2C companies, Um, just by the very nature that a lot of the candidates that apply for jobs are also consumers of products. In services of those companies, for your for your company and other B two B, it's not quite the same, but I would argue that it is more universal. But it is going to be unique to the uh, the structure of the recruiting team, the volume of hiring that you're doing at any given time, the industry that you're in, the markets that you're in. Uh, I mean, right now we're pretty much in a very tight um, uh, candidate. Centric market right now. It's a very tight job market, especially in the States and that's a little bit to the benefit of qualified candidates for them and that's great. It's not always the case but there are going to be economic factors that impact the business uh, uh, at the end of the day. They're going to have churn on their own teams in recruiting. They're going to have leadership changes. There, there's going to be um, regulatory issues that maybe some, of you, some industries have to, to face uh, anew every year. All those things Impact the business uh, of recruiting, especially, and make it can make it even more difficult to sustain any improvements that have been made. So I would argue it is universal, but yes, definitely there is things that Kimberly Clark can do with their um, to improve candidate experience that aren't necessarily going to apply um, to uh, uh, again like a Lockheed Martin or. Deloitte Consulting, for example, or other organizations that have won our, our awards even in the past, but sustaining in the long haul, Chris, that's the, that's the hard part. It's one thing to line up some incremental improvements in how you recruit and how you're treating candidates, but it's sustaining that over time. That's the hard work.
1: Uh, and and you've started to kind of tease us into this, but ultimately, it, maybe you can kind of talk to this what, about the impact it ends up having on you know the business and employer's brand, right?
4: So one of the things, yeah, exactly, and what we've been able to to, to see and show through our data is not exactly that the, listen, definitively you're going to lose millions of dollars a year by treating candidates poorly in your recruiting process, but what we can show is that there is definitely a potential of an impact. For example, this last year in North America, when we there's a lot of ratings that we ask the candidates to answer. You, um, a lot of them are on one to five Likert scales, with one being the lowest score and five being the highest score. And then um, we also ask uh, likely to extremely likely ratings um, and NPS-like scores. But the bottom line is this. those When we ask individuals how likely are you to change your business relationship status with us, the employer, um, that you because that, we go through the employers when we target the candidate. so it's all about that experience they had at that employer. Um, we ask them how likely you to change that business relationship, and that goes from I had a negative candidate experience. I'm going to sever the relationship, which literally means the way that we the we word the question, and the answer sets is I will not apply again, I will not refer others, and I won't buy stuff if and when applicable, which obviously is only going to be applicable for consumer based businesses. The other end of that is I had a great candidate experience. I'm going to increase my relationship with this company. Definitely I'm going to apply again. Definitely I'm going to refer others. And, of course, when applicable, I will buy stuff and make purchases. And when we, cor- when we look at that and compare that to the one- in five-star overall ratings, it's pretty clear when, um, the, when you're having a pretty crummy time going through the job, uh, the, the recruiting process for any company, For the um, 46% last year in North America of those candidates said that they would sever the relationship. 74%, who had a five star overall grade experience, said they would increase the relationship. And 85%, throwing a lot of numbers now, but 85% of the candidate pool in our research last year were those who didn't get the job. So, again, what we're trying to show is that there's definitely a potential impact on the business and the brand. And it's um, based on the, the majority of individuals that you're not hiring. It's great when you're, the, for those that you're hiring, and a lot of companies are actually, they do ask their new hires, how did you feel about their recruiting experience? And that's really important data to have, but there's a halo effect associated with that. Because those individuals were hired, I'm more than likely going to rate my, rate my experience with you higher, even if it wasn't that way. And we know companies... Um, especially consumer based companies more than not um, it, this could potentially cost them millions of dollars a year and um, and even b2 b companies know this could cause them in very uh, in critical referrals that they depend on on a regular basis to fill the roles that help them grow and sustain the business so that 's really what we can say with confidence is that there's definitely a, a a potential impact on the business and the brand
1: and what about technology how is this sort of Playing in as a one of the components here. I mean, you mentioned automated messages that might go out, and that's not really going to help the candidate feel more paid attention to. So, um, you know, are there other uh, are, is technology helping in some ways, hurting in others? W- where are you kind of seeing that falling right now? Well,
4: I think right now that, and for the longest time, I mean, a lot of our ATS and CRM systems. It, actually, it's, it's more about the message that's being sent out. I mean, the, very, the sheer volume of candidates that many mid-sized to enterprise-level employers are receiving is, is daunting, to say the least. And there's no way they're able to re- respond with humans to every single person who applies. Yes, they should, and, and, and most companies do for those who make it to the final stage interviews. But for those who apply, and that sure volume is really hard, so you have to leverage your technology. But I'll give you a quick story about this. There's a, a, a woman um, a couple of years ago at one of our workshops who shared the story how she was really wanted to work at this company. She uh, had networked her way in and then still had to go through the, the process of applying online. So she went through those hoops, took her time doing it. Um saved her work, came back as one of those systems where she could log in and out. She finished the application, hit hit submit, and lo and behold, she immediately got a rejection note notice in the email. Immediately within thirty seconds. Nobody ever answered her question after that why this happened. Even the people that she knew in the company couldn't get any information for. Her. She never wants to do anything with that company again. Ever. Now Granted, was she qualified for the role? I I don't know. Obviously, the the auto-screening that was set up that was reading keywords off her application, the ATS was then set to immediately send that rejection notice. That's where technology can actually be uh, augmented and adjusted. So that was a 24- or 48-hour delay happens before that rejection sent out. So a lot of it still comes back to the humans and the way that we use these technologies, Right. So I, don't, I would argue that there's um, you can make more personable rejection notes that have to be automated to go out. You can make them a little bit more uplifting, a little more personable, but still understanding that at the end of the day, this is a business transaction and you we are not going to pursue you any further. Thank you for your time. Again, it's a, it's a scaling issue, but a lot of companies are able to revise and update and um, constantly audit their communications that do go out, both automated as well as from the recruiters themselves uh, to ensure that there's consistency alignment and per, being personable without being, without over-promising either. And I think there's a, so technology can be more of a empowering tool for recruiting than hurting it, but it just depends on how you use it.
1: You know, that auto thing, uh, that, that would drive me crazy too. I mean, you know, they, they could, there's probably some things they could do if they want to get smart by delaying that. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I don't think it's probably a good idea to auto-decline, but, you know, if you're going yeah. to, you delay it 24 hours, right?
4: <laughs> so. Well, there's that, and, and and the other side of that, too, which I've heard from other companies, is that there's some companies that have decided to completely do away with any auto-responders, meaning they just don't respond. And our argument is that that can even be more detrimental over time, especially post-application. If you're not giving any response at all, that... that can be even worse than getting that autoresponder saying, sorry, but but we're not going to follow up with you any further. We're not going to pursue you any further. So it kind of gives, it's a give and take, but can I, do I have time to talk about another technology that I think is pretty exciting too or no?
1: Sure, go ahead.
4: We talk a lot today about AI-related technologies, smart-related technologies, artificial intelligence, and we're still early days in, in all of these things, but as it applies to recruiting and human resources, what I get excited about is chatbots, for example. We already see them and experience them as consumers anyway on websites now, but we're using them. Some companies are experimenting on their career websites more with them. And what's what, is, what I'm seeing with some of the early returns on this is that it's filling a gap where there was no communication before, right? Now, they're not pretending that this isn't a chatbot, that it's a real-life person. And most companies aren't doing that, and most candidates can discriminate and know that they're talking to, again, a chatbot. But it's really helping to kind of fill that space where there was no communication before, and I, I, I kind of just connected that back to the theme of communication being a, a differentiator at the end of the day. That's exciting, and some of these things, some of these technologies I've experimented with actually are pretty pretty good with answering, you know, just a lot of general and and even somewhat specific inquiries about the company, the jobs that I may be interested in applying for, career path development opportunities. That's that's a little bit more interactive than just trying to read static website pages, et cetera. So anyway, that's something I'm excited about, too.
1: Uh, That's definitely exciting. Well, you know, as we sort of kind of going through all this, you know, um, maybe we could kind of look at. What are some of the pieces of advice that you offer organizations or businesses or leaders um, as to how they can really maximize that mm-hmm. candidate experience? You know, what are the what's the couple of things they could do that has a really high value right now? The first
4: thing is that if they're not currently measuring candidate experience in any capacity, I would recommend that they do that because the best way to know is to get a baseline of data as to what the candidates truly are experiencing because. They may think they're handling the interview process, for example, on a um, they're doing a bang up job with the hiring managers and recruiters, the scheduling. But they may find out from getting feedback from the candidates directly that, wow, we've we've got hiring managers that are canceling and rescheduling a lot. That affects overall candidate experience. Um, at, there's inconsistent, unstructured interviews going on, which is, doesn't really help necessarily with the hiring process that can, can deteriorate candidate experience. They are um, m- being moved through a variety of people that, um, uh, in the interview process that may or may not have anything, any relevancy to the job. There's a lot of things that maybe they think they're doing right by, by getting a baseline of, of f- feedback data back it in turn can help them start to inform them of like, wow, these are things that we need to do better. We need to put a structured interview process in place. We need to train our hiring managers. We need to train our recruiters. I mean, the the list goes on, right? So um, I think that's the first thing that I would recommend, and then understanding what works and what's not working. Double down on what's working, and, wh- and then what's not usually is going to relate to how candidates are being treated, um, uh, communication and feedback. It's not about making them happy, Chris, at all. That's not. A, this isn't about a happy thing. This is about a fairness thing. Mm-hmm. That I was treated fairly in the process from beginning to end. That's what companies can aspire to get to.
1: And and, uh, and I think that's an important point, right? Because if somebody doesn't get the job, we're probably not expecting them to be very happy about that.
4: <laughs> Correct. But, oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if they
1: exactly. were treated fairly, if they were treated well, if they feel like the, the process was... Whatever those goals are, uh, to your point, there's a lot of value that can come out of that, and they may be the right person down the road, and it's just right. today that we're really looking for, and especially as our, the job market changes, we go from there being not enough candidates to being too many candidates, and those ebbs and flows in between, um, that, that, that's going to be an important piece to any company's long-term sort of strategy somebody might be a beginning programmer today and they might be the, your CTO in 10 years and you know, a bad experience 10 years ago might keep you from getting that candidate. So right. uh, those are, are going to be an, an important parts. Um, you know, a couple of the things that since we have a little, we have time here, we've been asking uh, a lot of our guests on the show cause I like to kind of see what crazy answers we might get, but um, you know, is there an app or a gadget or maybe something you've added to your process here in 2018 that you might share with us?
4: So, uh, for, yeah, for me, it's it's probably going to be on personal productivity and what's help, what is helping me at work. I I again experimenting more and hearing more about you know AI related smart technologies that are helping to drive productivity, for example. And scheduling is one area that I done some really experimentation in last year with a service that didn't work that didn't play out very well but this latest one i'm using zoom.ai which i'll give them a plug is really starting to to work and it's uh it's a virtual assistant and it helps with my scheduling and helps with uh, setting up uh, meetings and finding documents and just doing a little bit more than even what i thought it could do and um, that's pretty exciting to me. Uh, and not that you know, I, robots aren't going to take over the world anytime soon. So please, no tweets about that. That's not gonna, <laughs> it's not going to, it's not going to happen. But it's it is exciting um, application that I'm starting to see um, value on, and, and and you know, all these things will get a little bit smarter over time. They're not going to again take over the world anytime soon. But I think they could really help empower us more um, on. Uh, getting things done. So that's what I'm excited about.
1: And you said that was Zoom AI? Was that the name of it, yeah, it
4: Zoom. Yeah, Zoom.ai. Zoom.ai.
1: Zoom. AI. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners yeah. will as well. And uh, also would love to know if there's a book that you're reading right now or maybe one that you often suggest people take a look at.
4: So I'm reading uh, Wes Moore's The Work right now, which is a very inspiring book about... Um, his, his life, uh, uh, he's an African-American um, who is a really smart guy and trying to really has been clamoring his whole life to find meaning in work and in life and how they can connect, and work doesn't have to be all about just the money and the drudgery of a uh, paycheck and all those good things. And it's really a very inspiring and aspirational look at the nature of what motivates and drives us for work i like it it's good stuff
1: sounds like a great book for us to check out i uh, appreciate you suggesting it um you know we're getting here to the end i uh, want to make sure we give the opportunity to to give your plug here how, how can people get a hold of you learn more about uh, you and uh, talent board hr
4: well everybody can i'm definitely an open connector so you can find me on twitter at kevin w grossman and you can look me up on linkedin uh and Send me a connect link. I'm always uh, open for that. And then if you go to thetalentboard.org, is our website for the Talent Board, and you can download our research for free. And any employers out there interested in participating, there's still time in this year's program. Um, you can check out and get your questions answered there on the site, and uh, about how to participate in the program.
1: Well, fantastic, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us today and providing everyone with such great insights here on Talent Talk. Um, hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us an update or maybe let us know how the awards turned out.
4: You got it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. All
1: right. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. Hopefully you've gained something that can help your own career in a positive way. Uh, next week, my guests will include uh, employee engagement expert Jill Christensen and Bruce Bogler, uh, CEO of the International Center for Enterprise Management. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.